Well, we're continuing our series today on the, the seven last words of Christ from the cross, and today we come to this fourth word, a word which comes in the form of a question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know about you, but upon first read, this, this question leaves me unsettled. As I've heard people ask this questions in the past about where God is in the midst of suffering, I've struggled to know how to respond. I've not known what to do, and I've personally felt that sense of forsakenness, and I certainly don't know what to make sense of when Jesus himself cries out in this despair. Jesus is in this place of deep lament, wondering where God is as he hangs and suffers on the cross. These unsettling questions go against our desire to have things more neat and tidy, right? As we try and make sense of the world, we, we like to have answers, we like to have things figured out, and yet inevitably, as we, we navigate a world of pain, of, of suffering, we bump into these kinds of questions. Where is God when we suffer? Perhaps you come carrying some of those feelings today. Uh, maybe some of us are feeling that vicariously as we hear these voices from Ukraine, crying out with them, where, oh God, are you? Have you abandoned us in the face of, of violence and suffering? Maybe on a personal level, are you carrying some, some feelings of abandonment, struggling to see or feel God in your life right now? I had a a personal experience where I felt this most acutely a number of years ago. Many of you know that our, our son James was born with a really severe uh, life-threatening heart defect, and he needed to have open-heart surgery when he was a baby at about five months of age, and uh, the biggest challenge was getting him to that age. Uh, he was needing to be big enough for this big procedure. The problem was he was so sick that he was having trouble gaining weight. We, he was failing to thrive. We were in and out of the children's hospital. We tried feeding tubes, all these things. And what would happen is we'd spend about an hour trying to get him to eat, and then he would just bring it all back up because he was breathing so heavily. There's one day uh, when we were just at the end of our rope, and I was ha having to head out for a couple hours, and I just felt compelled to pray for uh, Julian James. I prayed over them, asking that God would help James just keep some food down. And as I was praying, James threw up all over us. <laughs> now, I have had God not answer prayers in the direction I wanted him to answer in the past, but it had never happened while I was praying. <laughs> And it was this deeper level of just deep lament, of wondering where God is as we're calling out, as we are suffering. Friends, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, if maybe you're coming with that lament today, but I want to speak into those experiences. And I believe that this fourth word of the cross actually speaks into those places where we feel forsaken. It, I believe, shows us some of the means by which we can navigate those times when God seems absent. When God seems absent. Jesus, as he suffers, calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's an intensity in this text, in the emotion that Jesus expresses. Now, our translation says that Jesus cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the, the word is deeper than that. In fact, it should be translated scream. <laughs> Jesus screams, my God, my God, 
where are you? Where are you? We notice that he uses this language, my God, my God. This is, a, this is a change from the prayer he uttered in the Garden of Gethsemane. There, though he was suffering, God was still Abba, Father, an intimate word. There's a sense of connection. Abba is this word for daddy. But now, do you notice the substitute? It is no longer Abba, it is Eloi, which is this more formal word for God. It suggests that there is some distance, a breach in that intimacy that Jesus has experienced in the past. He feels as if God, the Father, is not there. Now, I do want to say this, that theologically, I believe that the Father is not fully absent. And we're going to see seeds of, of faith and hope in this prayer I believe that the Trinity remains intact as Jesus suffers on the cross, but experientially, I believe Jesus is feeling a deep breach in that intimacy with the Father. For as he steps into our humanity, as he in the incarnation takes on our experience, as the scriptures say, he takes on the sins of the world, he experiences the deep breach that sin and brokenness and suffering creates between us and God. He is really feeling these experiences of forsakenness. As uh, Stanley Hauerwas says, the Son of God has taken our place, become for us the abandonment our sin produces. And so Jesus calls out, my God, my God, why are you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? So the first thing that I notice from Jesus as we seek to navigate our own experiences of forsakenness is that we are modeled a radical honesty, a radical honesty about what is really going on for Jesus. If Jesus, the Son of God, can say why, perhaps we can have some license to ask that question as well. This is what uh, Dale Bruner writes. He says, if Jesus asks why, let us be extremely cautious in saying because. Jesus' why means that even the wisest men and women always know, uh, don't, cannot always know why some things happen. Like you, I want to run to the because. I want to have an answer to those, those questions of pain. And I, I believe there are some answers that we are not left in complete hopelessness. But can we perhaps create some more space in our own lives and in our Christian communities to ask why? If Jesus asks why, let's be cautious to not jump too quickly to the because. <laughs> because the reality is that as Christians, we face pain. There are hard things, and sometimes we create a culture that when I give my life to Jesus, I shouldn't face pain anymore. I should be continuously boisterous and bubbly. <laughs> I may have shared this before. I love this quote uh, from Eugene Peterson, but he just calls it out really well here. When you hit your thumb with a hammer, it hurts just as much after you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior as it did before. Can we just, like, get that on the table, right? And, and I think sometimes we've had this false expectation that it's not okay for me to be honest about the pain and the suffering that we face because we are redeemed. Honesty, I believe, is this, this first way we navigate the forsakenness we feel in a world gone wrong. The second thing that, that I noticed, though, is that as Jesus cries out from the cross, he is continuing in prayer. 
This is actually a prayer. Notice that he is addressing God. He is not saying, my people, my people, why has God forsaken me? Do you hear the difference between that and and his continued faithful calling upon God? God, where are you? I see in this a, a, a seed of faith that continues for Christ. Even though he does not feel God, he doesn't understand it, he is continuing to keep that conversation going as he calls upon God in prayer. So again, uh, to Dale Bruner, he says, the cry of dereliction looks like a cry of despair at first, like a temporary loss of faith, as if Jesus and God were no longer close. Yet Jesus, right here, better than perhaps anywhere else, teaches us exactly what faith at its deepest level is. It is believing God even when we do not feel him. Can we notice the the radical act of faith that Jesus is expressing here? He senses God's absence, and yet in faith, he continues to call upon God in prayer. I think this is instructive for us. I think this might even help us reframe what faith really looks like. I think some of us maybe feel a false guilt in Christian community that if I was truly a person of faith, I would be full of confidence and certainty and I'd feel the closeness of God all the time. But perhaps faith at times is this radical trust, reliance on God, even though we have questions, even though we doubt, even though we are struggling to see God. For those who have uh, read up on Mother Teresa, she, her, her story really reflects this. Later on in her life, as her journals were published, uh, we see that she wrestled deeply at times, wondering where God was, wrestling with her faith. And yet, she continued to persevere in that, to to continue to give her life to God, to call upon God, to serve God, even though there were long seasons of darkness and confusion. Perhaps that makes some more space for you in Christian community, that you are welcome here, even though there are questions. There's this call to express faith by calling upon God, even though we're struggling to see him. That was something I had to relearn after my own experience of forsakenness. There's a temptation to just throw in the towel for a while. But see, this is the difference between lament and complaint. A complaint would just be to say, my people, my people, where is God? But lament is prayer. As one writer has said, lament is a cry of despair with direction. We are calling upon God and seeking him out even though we cannot feel him. Can I call us to that act of of faith as we navigate these various challenges? The thing I want to highlight for us as we see how Jesus navigates forsakenness, how we may as well, is that as he cries out on the cross, he is anchoring his heart and mind in the scriptures. So uh, this cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is a direct quote from Psalm 22. This was the prayer book that Jesus grew up with. He was so immersed in the Psalms that they were close to his heart and his mind. And in the uh, ancient world, the, the first line of a Psalm was actually the title of the psalm, and I believe that Jesus is cluing to us to look to that whole psalm as how he is making sense of his current suffering. So so Psalm 22 begins 
with this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cry of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. The Psalms, I believe, are helping give Jesus language to express the full range of his experience, to call him to prayer as he, as he hangs on the cross. But I think what, what is notable is that while this psalm begins in a place of despair, halfway through the psalm it pivots towards hope. And, and the psalm concludes by, by speaking of the hope of God's victory over the powers of evil and death. In verse 24, it goes on to say, He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. And the psalmist goes on to talk about how all the ends of the earth will eventually remember and turn to the Lord. Now, some people, I think, see this reference as a way of trying to sanitize the intensity of Jesus' cry of despair, and I don't want to do that. Some people say, well, Jesus actually just wants us to read the whole psalm, and so he's not really feeling forsaken. (laughs) And I don't want to go there, because Jesus is deeply experiencing the first part of this psalm. I don't want to rush too quick to the because, right? But I do believe that as Jesus calls out and clues us into Psalm 22, he is anchoring his suffering in a bigger story. The Psalms are helping give him a bigger perspective beyond the current torment of the cross that is calling us to a faith beyond this current circumstance. The Psalms, I believe, help Jesus both express the anguish but locate his suffering in a bigger story, a bigger narrative that this will not be the end of the story. And so I, I wonder if the, the Psalms and the Scriptures might be that similar anchor for us as we navigate forsakenness and abandonment. James Houston is a, a former professor at Regent College, and he has coined this phrase, uh, developing a psalmic consciousness. And what, what he means by this is that throughout the history of the church, the Psalms have been the prayer book that people have relied on. And we, we heard that expressed from our Ukrainian brothers and sisters today, that they're trying to use the Psalm, Psalm 31, to both express the anguish, anguish but to locate their experience in a bigger reality behind, behind the, the temporary terror of war. And what James Houston says is the more we are immersed in the Psalms, it forms us and gives us language to to see life through a different perspective. This is what Stanley Hauerwas says about the Psalms. He says, we pray the Psalms not because they give expression to our religious experience, though they sometimes may do that, but because our lives are given form by praying them. The more we're immersed in this narrative, this language of prayer, we are formed, our perspective, our consciousness is viewing reality through a deeper story. And so the question I want to pose to us is, are we forming a psalmic consciousness? Or is perhaps our perspective, our consciousness being formed by other things? I wonder if some of us are developing a cable news consciousness. I wonder if some of us are developing an Instagram or Facebook consciousness. 
I wonder if we're immersed in cultural narratives that, that don't help us make sense of the bigger story. Do we have bad influence consciousness based on the people that we are spending time with? What would it look like for us to develop a psalmic consciousness? a gospel consciousness, where we are continually anchored in a bigger perspective on our current reality. That's how the Psalms function for Jesus and how I think they can function for us as well. As he is hanging on the cross, he turns to Psalm 22. It helps him express the anguish of the moment, but I think it also helps him locate his temporary sufferings in a bigger reality reminding him that this is not the end of the story. And here's the thing, friends. As Matthew 27 continues, when we didn't read what happens after this text, I believe we see the end of Psalm 22 begin to be fulfilled. Psalm 22 ends with this image of people from all nations remembering and turning back to God. And this is what happens after Jesus gives up his final breath. We see the temple curtain torn in two, this symbolism of of all those barriers that came between us and God removed, all those barriers that kept foreigners away from God is removed, and the nations now can come to the Lord. We see the Roman centurion, a Gentile, say, surely this is the Son of God. We see Psalm 22 begin to come into fruition. Which tells me this, friends, that Matthew 27, on one level, is a model for us. I think Jesus does model how we can navigate forsakenness as we practice honesty, as we pray with lament, as we develop a psalmic perspective on our realities. But there is more than a model being given to us in this text. Jesus isn't just a model. He also is answering our question, where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? As he hangs on the cross, he responds to that question by saying, I am here with you. We have, as one writer says, a God who shares in the forsakenness we feel in a universe gone wrong. We have an answer to this question, where are you, God? And so I invite you into that honest space of asking questions, of lament, of calling out to God in prayer. Let us live fully into the first part of Psalm 22, for that is how we navigate these trials. This is what Jesus shows us. But as we do so, I pray that we might locate our temporary trials in this bigger story, that the second half of Psalm 22 might begin to slowly reveal itself to us and give us hope that this isn't the end of the story. May we join with Jesus in calling out in faith to God that he might meet us in our places of forsakenness. And you join me in prayer. God, I'm aware that uh, these words we have spoken are not mere words, mere theory for some of us today, but that we come feeling that abandonment, feeling that forsakenness, struggling to make sense of you. Lord, I pray we would have space for that honest lament. Lord, I pray that you would instill within us a a renewed faith, 
and courage to continue to call upon you even though we struggle to see you. And may we be heartened, Lord, that you are a God who shares in the forsakenness we feel in a world gone wrong. Would you meet those who are in need today? Would you be among us as we continue in worship? We pray in your name. Amen.